Trustworthy Weekly, delivering the best of humanity every Saturday. Here's your hosts, Allison Rosen and Todd Perry. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Upworthy Weekly. My name is Todd Perry, a staff writer here at Upworthy, and with me is the wonderful Allison Rosen. Hello. I don't know if Allison, if you can see if there's a certain amount of smoke in the air going on right now in my studio. Um, right as I was getting ready to start, my dog <laughs> just just laid a wretched, wretched bomb and. I let my dog in the room, Archie, because I don't want him ripping up my house because he's a puppy. But he's also, he's very quiet and chill, so he'll just sit here and not, you know, disturb the show vocally. Mm-hmm. But rectally, but, he will disturb the show. He, yes. <laughs> so. Yes. Before we started, I heard you. Well, you moaned, you lifted your shirt over your nose, and then you said, what did you eat? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what the listener missed. Yes. We're Too bad we men. didn't have that recorded. That would be fun. <laughs> like coming, coming out of that first ad, it's like, mm-hmm. Dearborn Mitsubishi in Michigan welcomes you to their October sales event, and then, and then you just hear me go, what did you eat? <laughs> Get off my plate. <laughs> so on uh, today's show, we're going to go over some of the most popular and engaging stories on Upworthy from the week of October 24th to the 28th. We're going to talk about love at first sight. Oh, how, how to argue in an Upworthy way. Uh, and Anne Hathaway's thoughts on self-loathing. But Allison, before we get into that, I'd like to ask your advice. I would like to give my advice. Oh, I know you would. Actually, <laughs> even be- even you're gonna like this even better. I'm more asking for your judgment. Ooh, you know I that's right in my wheelhouse. Yeah, advice I don't always excel at. Even though Greg and I give advice on childish, oftentimes I feel like uh, consider consulting someone else as well. But judgment allow me to pass it. Yes. Well, actually, you know, because Allison does Childish with comedian Greg Fitzsimmons, mm-hmm. uh, and this is a parenting question because my Uh-oh. wife my wife disagreed with what I did. Okay. In Let's this parenting it. situation, but I, I stand by what I did. Uh, so, you know, to kind of break the tie, I decided to go to a, a professional parenting expert, Allison Rosen. <laughs> That's me. And so uh, over the weekend, I took my son to Las Vegas, and we went to a Raiders game, and my son's six, six, six-year-old boy, and we're sitting up in my seats, uh, which are, you know, okay, they're high up, okay? But as I always mm-hmm. say, they're high up, but they're on the 40, okay? Th- these, are, these are good seats. The stadium's not that tall, okay? Just because I'm in the second-to-last row doesn't mean I'm in the cheap seats, or I'm in the nosebleeds, or I'm in the mm-hmm. euchre seats, okay? Todd Perry's... Raider tickets are chef's kiss. Yes, I know. You had to drive Lyft to pay for these or so. There's some story behind this. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they're not that great, but, you know, they're, they're fine. <laughs> you, can, you can see. Okay. We, we call it Raider heaven up there. Uh, so <laughs> I'm sitting with my son, and now the halftime show had just ended. And the, okay. funny, the halftime show was Iggy Azalea, so he got to learn about uh, dropping. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. There was a for- lot, of, lot of butt. I mean, listen, as someone who doesn't know anything about football, it's been it's been explained to me so many times. I didn't this is going to sound so ignorant to people who go to games regularly like you, but I didn't realize there was a halftime show at every game. I thought this was like a Super Bowl thing and maybe that's it. So I didn't realize you get like an Iggy Azalea at every game. Do you? No, you. You, know, you get well. This is this is different. This is Las Vegas. So, given Las Vegas as like the entertainment capital of the world, right? They have I thought that was Branson. <laughs> it's that's the entertainment capital of the real America. Okay, this is the fake America, Sin City. Yeah, yeah. This is right. yeah, they just turned blue. It's not real America anymore. Yeah. 
Um, but Branson, you can see Yakov Smirnov, so it's, mm-hmm. it's good. But no, right. in, in Las Vegas at a Raiders game, they go over the top with the entertainment value. And so they always have like a big name act. Whoever's like headlining that week or has a residency will play there. So I've How seen cool. like, yeah, like one time it was like Little John, which was fun. And he was actually at the game and they they put him on the screen and they're like, ladies and gentlemen, Little John. And of course he did the what? And he didn't, you know, whole crowd went crazy. But mm-hmm. so, yeah, they had, I've, I've seen like really, you know, they have like Santana and, you know, pretty big names there. Anyway, so right after halftime, and halftime's when everybody goes to the bathroom. And so right after halftime, my son's like, I got to go to the bathroom. And I was like, oh, like exact wrong time I want to be in line because it's going to be like 25 minutes, you know, 20 minute line or. So I take my son down to the line, and the men's room line is like goes on forever. And he's mm-hmm. like, "I've got to go number two. Oh boy! I got it. And I was like, "Ugh." <laughs> <laughs> These, this is what happens when you go somewhere with a child. I know, but mm-hmm. you know, they I was have not there, trained like, their bowels. I know. I was like, this whole day had been going perfect. The flight mm-hmm. went perfect. Got on, got into the stadium. He's enjoying himself. It's all good. And then I'm like, oh, this could quickly be derailed by him not being able to control his bowels. So I was like, ah, oh, the men's room was just too long. So, but I looked to the women's room. It looks like all the ladies had finished their business, and there was no line. Uh huh. <laughs> so, I was oh my like, god, this is the reverse of what women face all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think ahead. it's kind of more men than women go to the football game, right? right? So you, yeah. you know. So uh, I'm sitting there and I'm like, mm. I was like, what if I just send him in to the women's room? And he's still young enough, right? And, mm-hmm. be, and so what I did was I saw a lady that was right by the bathroom. I was like, excuse me. And I did the, um, oh, I'm single parenting right now. Like, yeah. yeah. Helpless dad move. Uh-huh. Like, How I'm a dad, she- like. Uh, (laughs) right i'm not a man i'm a dad right well well, that thing where we've talked about on this show before where men can have it both ways like Mm -hmm. you could be the i don't deserve special praise for parenting i'm a i'm a dad and i'm an equal partner and men should be good fathers but then you can also pull the oh gee i'm just a dumb dad and i don't know what to do with my kid who has to poop so i did that and then the lady goes oh no problem and so she Gets him in a stall, and she kind of stands in the middle, so through the hallway, I can kind of look at her, and she's giving me, like, the, okay. I think that's totally fine that you did this. Yeah. Your wife doesn't think it's okay? No. She said I should have cut to the front of the men's men's line and sent him into the men's room. But then, I mean, look, this is dangerous terrain for me as your co-host and as a woman, and as a human being. I do not want to go against your wife here. Does she ever listen to this show? Never. Okay, good. Daniel doesn't either. Um, If she does ever decide to listen, do me a favor, go in, edit this out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that was actually pretty resourceful of you, and I think that I would do the same with my kid. Granted, I am a woman, so it would be easier for me to take him into the women's room. Um, but I think cutting the line, then you're potentially taking on like a bunch of drunk guys at a football game mm-hmm. and who knows how they're going to react. And it's just like a whole bunch of chaos when you can just so easily circumvent all of that and have him poop in peace in a much cleaner, nicer room. That, that's right. He's six. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, because I thought that I could potentially, like, you know, 80% of guys are totally fine with me sending the kid in to cut the line, but the yeah. one, it only takes one guy who's like, right? Yeah. And I know that at least, good 5% at least of men are, right? And so, <laughs> right. is that an upworthy term? I think so. Uh, yeah. You're doing math for yeah. both of them right so i you know i let him in and so then the kid the kid came out and i i called the woman as it was kind of funny as he's walking out of the bathroom 
The woman's walking out too. And I go, oh, you're my Raider angel, I say. <laughs> but then another woman came around and thought I was talking to her. And she goes, oh, thank you so much. I'm your Raider <laughs> angel. And then the other woman's like, come on, man. I'm the Raider angel. So there was a whole debate. But I asked my son, you all, all good? Everything taken care of? Took care of the whole situation? And he goes, I felt a bit of a chill. I said, what? You felt a chill? He goes, uh, the ladies were looking at me. <laughs> and, and I was I was like in the stall. He goes, no, when I was walking in there, like they, I guess they were confused. Oh. Like, who is this this guy? The boy, yeah. Yeah. Um, But I, well, I get that. And that's how he put it. I felt a bit of a chill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So descriptive. At the same time, though, I, I bet, well, I mean, I can't say, but I bet none of them were like, get this man out of here. He's a right. six-year-old. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, I would take Elliot, well, it's been a while since I have, but I have taken Elliot into a bathroom with me before. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's just normal. how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Well, good. I'm glad that you agree with me, and I'm going to- I think it's e- fine. Edit this together, send it directly to my wife. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to text <laughs> don't, it. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Parenting expert Allison Rosen says. (laughs) So here we go. Uh, It looks like we've got our first story here. Allison, what do we have? All right. Well, our first story is about two strangers who found love in an elevator and are getting married. And it's adorable. Uh, So Preet Banerjee and Cheryl Hurst met in an elevator in Greece. They were both there for a conference for doctoral students. uh, And she remembers that he looked hot. She entered the elevator and she saw this dude that looked hot. She remembers he was wearing a yellow watch and a white t-shirt with the sleeves rolled up. And she feels that that's a hot look on any man. Now he remembers her, but didn't, she didn't really make an impression. He just thought, Oh, a girl with a backpack. But then Uh, you know, the elevator opened and they were all staying on the seventh floor, but the elevator only went up to the sixth floor. So they had to get another elevator. So as they were all walking, they started talking. Uh, turns out they like all lived in, they're all from Canada. So there was like, you know, the talk about like, oh, your accent, where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they just, you know, hit it off and they wanted to keep talking. So throughout the course of this conference, they kept bumping into each other. And then there was like this, uh, you know, at the end of it, they were going to tour. And it was a real meet, if I'm using this term correctly, which I don't think I am, a real meet cute. I'm not using, it was a real tour cute because... A bunch of people were supposed to meet up for the tour, but then no one else except for the two of them showed up. Isn't that cute? So they like, you know, had this, this wonderful conversation all day. And then they, they said goodbye, but then they, you know, missed each other and they, they started talking and they started this long distance relationship. And then look, this relationship took on a series of windy twists and turns. There was Canada. There was a pandemic. There was so much. I could, Monaco at some point. I could not keep track of all the places. I mean, it was like a, oh, the places you'll go with (laughs) your romance. It was like a Dr. Seuss story. I know at one point, and I did, look, I didn't appreciate this preet. At one point, six months in, they're having a FaceTime car. Tell me how you feel about this, Todd. They're having a FaceTime conversation, and Cheryl gets up the nerve to tell Preet she loves him. He doesn't return. He doesn't give her the I love you return, to use the Seinfeld phrase, which I'm probably bungling. He doesn't, she doesn't say it back. He hangs up. Excuse me? Well, now... That's not the end of it, though. The next day, there's a knock at her door. She opens the door. Mm. Guess she doesn't have a ring camera. She opens the door, and it's him. He's shown up at her door to say, I love you, which is very romantic, okay? He wanted to say it in person. Okay, I will give him that. However, all those hours, which, by the way, he was probably in the air all those hours, I don't know where he was. He was flying from somewhere far away. That's like someone, I mean, 
That's a real go-getter to hop on a plane right away. This is some real like Ross and um, Emily stuff, if anyone gets my reference. Mm. Um, But to not say it back and to leave her twisting, I don't appreciate that, although I appreciate that he showed up right away. So anyway, then he uh, proposed to her in Monaco, and now they're planning their wedding, and it's all very sweet. And so the question is, do you believe in love at first sight? And uh, yeah, well, do you? I'll I'll give you my cynical answer next. I think we already know how I feel. Right. Um, I'm going to say, first of all, the fact that he didn't return it because he had a greater gesture, I'm fine with that. Because then it it almost means more when she's sitting there like, I don't know, does he love me? Does he not? Right. Yeah. as long as you didn't go, you're breaking up. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm like in that. a tunnel. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, I'm trying to do Pee Wee Herman, but my voice just doesn't quite go there. <laughs> you know, I was doing this for my son all week. Okay, so I actually I do believe in love at first sight. Uh, you do because I think that human beings we have. I believe we're only like conscious of so much going on and our subconscious is really active and it's constantly sorting out information from people around us. And I think we have an ability to really sense, now this sounds a little hippie, like sense other people's vibes and that you're kind of, and that that person has an energy that you can be around and and I don't know, you're looking at me a little... hmm. I was rubbing my crystals the other day. No, well, I, th- I think that like, <laughs> no, no, it, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Go ahead. And people have pheromones, and I think that even beyond when you have like w- words of communication, that there's that deeper level of feeling and interaction that people have um, that clues in quickly and kicks into your nervous system even before they be they begin to speak. You you kind of already know people in a weird way. Am I right? Am, mm-hmm. I, am I crazy? Am I just being an empath or No, I don't think that's crazy. I think there there can be like a a recognition. Um but the question is is that love at first sight or is that something else? Like I think it might be it might be like a recognition of someone that you could be compatible with. And then through being around, this is like such an unromantic, not very fun take. I think you can have attraction at first sight, or I think you can have interest at first sight, but I think it is only through being around a person and getting to know them that you can truly have love at first sight. I think did I, I think you I think there's infatuation is one thing and then love is something else. I'm sorry that is such a not fun, not exhilarating answer. Meh, meh. Yeah. You know, I I thought I experienced this once. Now Love at first sight? Yes. I and I think she did too. I was maybe nineteen ninety nine and I was at a I was at a rave. And well, that's a place where you might think you would experience love at first sight, right? Well, I was I was a little chemically inconvenienced, as they say, and <laughs> I, I was walking down a hallway, you know, at the Fox Theater in Pomona, you know, there's going on behind me, and I'm just walking through the hallway, and this gal and her friend were walking towards me, and we both at the same exact time, synchronicity, just stopped and started talking to each other. Oh, and wow. she, I don't know, she had like kind of like, I don't know, shoulder length brown hairs or kind of like a, like a sundress, kind of a mm-hmm. hippie-ish sundress. And we just immediately started talking. And I immediately felt this just complete sense of comfort and sense of mission and purpose and history and future with this person. It was like, boom. And I felt that yeah. she had, you could see in other people's eyes when they're like vibing with you or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I would just started talking about some something philosophical or something. And she actually wanted to listen to it. And uh, and we just sat there and, and talked and just boom, like, and then her friend turns and goes, oh, well, she lives in the Bay Area and we got a flight. And so we, we got to be leaving, you know. Mm. And I just remember we both looked at it and we were like, oh. And we did a, a a thing where we were both sad about it, and then she kind of walked away and kind of waved, and that was before social media or whatever, so you couldn't just be like, yeah. hit me up 
on the gram, you know, let's talk, or you seem cool, or whatever. Right. But it was a, a intense feeling I had for a moment, and then it was it was it was gone, and I remember it very clearly because that that mm-hmm. never happened to me before um, or since, and and I'm, that doesn't discount my wonderful relationship with my wife, and right. um, but it was just a very powerful thing. You know what's funny? There are like a handful of things like that that I can think of as well. Maybe not as much like lightning bolt type things, but like, oh, a party where I spent the whole party like talking to this one person or just like, uh, you know, this connection, brief connection that I felt with someone where I can still remember it, but it was before social media. And like it made enough of an impact on me that I still think of that person. And I think like, whatever happened to them? And do they still think of me sometimes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I have no idea. For all I know, like that did not mean anything to them. Like, do you think that girl still thinks of you? Yeah, She's like, where is that guy who was wearing the Hello Kitty shirt? <laughs> from that rave uh yeah i'd i'd like i'd like to think so and that maybe at some point we'd just be walking by and go hey you and she'd go hey you and then i go i'm married you missed your shot woman (laughs) and she'd go i'm married and happy too and i go good and then we'd we'd walk on um or you know maybe it was a past life thing maybe we knew each other and even i I don't even believe in past lives but who knows um the funny well, thing wait, about... how did... Huh? Go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask... Well, I want to hear what you were going to say, but I was going to ask how... I know that I know the story, but how did you meet Ms. Perry? Was that a love at first sight thing? Uh, I think that that was a... I don't know, a physical attraction at first sight, I think. We both met each other drunken at a frat party and... <laughs> Made out. How romantic. <laughs> yeah. But then she went back to her sorority and said, quote, I just met my husband. Oh, that's so sweet. And so for like, her, it was. Yeah. And I was like, I met a cute blonde at a crop top, you know, and then we, we, we grew we grew to uh, create this wonderful life we have now. And uh I, I was just thinking this story made me think about so many things in life. So so many of our big decisions are kind of considered and premeditated. You know, like, am I are we going to buy this house? Or am I going to go to this school? Or, you know. Uh, but the person you fall in love with, most of the time, it's not a considered thing. It's just someone you happen to it run happens. into... At some event, or someone goes, "Hey, you should meet my friend," or someone you were scrolling through online, and you hit it off, and and that's it. And you you met your husband via your uh, old radio show or something, right? Mm-hmm. He was he was a fan of that, and uh, I don't know, kidnapped you or something, or you know, I don't I don't know, <laughs> yeah. threw you in a potato <laughs> sack. I don't know. Yes, I was sitting there, and then suddenly the room got dark. And then I was in the back of a vehicle. No, yeah, he emailed me. Um, and there was just something about the way he used language. And I don't know, it sounds so weird. But I mean, that's kind of like that flicker of recognition that you were talking about. I mean, that's my words, but for the the, the sort of experience that you're talking about. Um, and we became friends first. Uh, but then, you know, it, it turned into something more. And yeah. Um, the first time we met, um, I remember we met and then, uh, you know, we hung out at, it was at a bar. It was like this very hip, it's the last time we ever hung out at like a hip downtown LA bar. Cause that's not, it's not either of our scene, but it was like the first place that we hung out at. And then I remember when I got back in my car, I just instantly wanted to text him. Like I just wanted to keep the conversation going. Hmm. It was just that feeling of like. I just want to continue to talk to him. Right. So, oh. yeah. And 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 you and you want to continue. I don't feel that way anymore, but what? <laughs> right. Well, you just want to continue to talk to him for the rest of your life, right? Yeah. Upworthy Weekly. The Upworthy audience always loves Jimmy Fallon's hashtags. There's certain things that 
I don't know what. Uh, and I mean, they're they're fun, so I get, I get why people enjoy them. But there's certain things that no matter what, every time we put out a story of of a certain type, like certain things, just always hit, and the audience always likes them, and they always do well. And so obviously, it's always cool. When the audience loves what we put out, and uh, I believe it was Heather Wake, who's one of our wonderful writers. She usually she always finds the Jimmy Fallon stuff, but. Um, Jimmy Fallon asked people to share their best, quote, last-minute Halloween costume ideas. And uh, here are some of them. Uh, Tonight shows Jimmy Fallon asked folks to share their own, quote, last-minute Halloween costumes. And you really can't help but applaud the creativity that arises out of sheer desperation. One year, I forgot a Halloween costume, so I spent the whole night... Oh, this was... Ugh, so... Get it together, Perry. This is Jimmy <laughs> Fallon's... Okay. Jimmy Fallon's response. One year I forgot a Halloween costume, so I spent the whole night holding onto the bathroom door and told everyone I was Jack from Titanic. I mean, that's clever, but it would really like impede your ability to move about. Yeah, especially the bathroom door. Yeah, and also what if someone needs to go to the bathroom? It's kind of rude. <laughs> well, <Sorry>. he... <laughs> my costume requires me to occupy the bathroom. Try again. What always got me about that scene is that door looks big enough for both of them. I know. I that is a real problem with that scene. There is room for another person. Like, shouldn't James Cameron do like a George Lucas and like just digitally make? The door a little smaller? Yes. Or something? Yes. Uh, so some other people responded, One year my husband didn't want to wear a costume, so I put on a sign on him that said, Nudist on strike. <laughs> That's kind of funny. This is like the opposite of the... I was talking about a couple of weeks ago that there was a Chippendale that came to my door once. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was a seven-year-old with slacks and no shirt. Right. Another, one year when we were kids, I wore a black garbage bag that my mom cut holes in for my head and arms. I put a traffic cone on my head, held a broom, and I was a witch. Oh, yeah. But a traffic cone, you know, that's orange. Like, that's just right. kind of not in the witch color palette. No, it's really not. You're like, a, you're like a candy corn witch. Yeah. Another wrote... I needed a last-minute costume for work, so I took a clear trash bag, cut leg holes, put it on, blew up a bunch of balloons, put them in the bag, pulled it up to my neck, tied with a ribbon, and went as a bag of jelly beans. Oh, that's good. Sounds uncomfortable, but that's good. Yeah, like you're going to pop them. Like... Yeah. Um, I I have now, because uh, I've reached 45 years old, I have a mm. stockpile of old costumes I've saved. Just in case. We've got Smart. Chewbacca. Uh-huh. You know. Um, I've got Elvis. I've got like a whole Elvis getup. Nice. Might just wear to a, to a Raider game in Vegas. Hello. There's no <laughs> Raider Elvis in the entire stadium. It's just it's just sitting there waiting for me to do it. It needs it needs you. I, t- I told my Where wife. Where do you I said, keep them? These costumes. Do you have like a special costume closet? Do they just go in your regular closet? There's a very creepy closet in my house. It's full of magic tricks. Oh, you've got a novelty closet. Costumes. This fun box that if you put in, like, and you go in, you disappear and come in the other side of the house. No, I think we just have a bag in the garage um, where we oh, keep okay. all this stuff. That make, that makes sense. Yeah, because as my kids get more and more into the holidays, I'm beginning to feel like we need like a dedicated holiday space in our house, and I don't know where it's going to be, but it's getting yeah. out of control. Yeah, you got to have that. You don't want to have holiday creep, you know, where it goes throughout the house. <laughs> That's what we, we have holiday creep, holiday drift. <laughs> now, okay. What else I'll, do you have? I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you a uh, last minute Halloween costume I once did that I think people these days would find, to use a word which I don't like, but I'll use it, they would find problematic. Uh-oh, let's hear it. And And this is just a bad history thing. I didn't know at the time. And our friend had an 80s party, 
And so my wife went, looked, I don't know, she went as like Gem from Gem and the Rockers. And then she said, Gem and the Holograms? Yeah, yeah. There's Barbie and the Rockers. And so she said, you should go as Bill Cosby. (sighs) Oh, no. So, no, I didn't do any blackface. There's nothing weird like that. Oh, I see. I see. I, so it's not problematic for the reasons I initially thought. Thank oh. goodness. Oh, God, no. I, I, d- I didn't know. Why, why would I you even... You, ex- prob- you said problematic, so I just went big. <laughs> I went big. I went problematic, capital P. <laughs> no, I, I went low, <laughs> l- lowercase problematic. Okay. You just and mean... Pro- well, thank goodness. It was just ugly sweater. Got it. Yeah. And- and, and a like little, a pudding pop or something. Yeah, I had a little Jello Jello pudding thing, like a like right. a badge that I wore. Yeah, and then I just had to keep saying, "I'm Bill Cosby. I'm Bill Cosby" all night. Right, because people then, didn't get it right away. Right. I I don't, know. I don't know. It wasn't very convincing. It was kind of a lame Halloween costume. Actually, I will say the the worst Halloween costume I ever wore. And this would be the second week in a row that I referenced this film, but. A buddy of mine had it was kind of like a, a house party, meaning like house mm-hmm. music. I didn't know that everybody would be wearing like hot people costumes. Oh, okay. Like the kind of like you know like lots of times when people are good looking, they wear things that like accentuate their their good lookingness or whatever. Like yeah, that's it's people like to do a slutty version of something on Halloween. If they have the goods, if they can right. pull it off. And some if they don't. Mm-hmm. But. <laughs> and so, like that seven-year-old Chippendale that came to my door. Now, okay. I'm kidding. So, uh, th- th- we're going to get a review for that one. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. I, again, I didn't know everybody would be like, you know, going for the good-looking costume. So, I dressed up as the elephant man. And I uh, I wore like a cloak and I wore a hood over my face and had a cane mm-hmm. and like a, a raggedy hat. And no one could see who I was because my face was covered and there was just one little mm-hmm. eye hole. And I just walked. And, and you ever you ever walk in somewhere and you see people just looking at you like, what? Well, like, that's what the elephant man faced. Ex- exactly. But I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I thought maybe someone would be like, oh, that's clever. Or like you don't see right. a lot of elephant men at the party. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was more just like it creeped a bunch of people who were chemically inconvenienced. I think it creeped them out for the elephant man to show up. Yeah, well, you know it's Halloween. What are they expecting? But they're know. expecting like some hot oiled up. Well, what were they all dressed as? Hot oiled up elephant man. Yeah. of you. Did I mention to you that I've never seen The Elephant Man? You've never seen The Elephant Man? No, and I've also never seen Home Alone. I've really got to get watching the classics. You're missing all the great holiday films. I know. Um, I dressed as Cleopatra so many years in a row because I wasn't going to the same parties and I had the costume and I could do the makeup really well. But I remember confessing to someone like, you have no idea how many years in a row I've done Cleopatra. And they were like, I think it's kind of cool when someone does the same thing every year in a row. (laughs) And I remember being like, that is so nice of you trying to make me feel okay about this. But I think it's kind of pathetic. Upworthy Weekly. Anne Hathaway brilliantly tackles the language of hatred in a powerful new speech. I don't know if you're aware, but Anne Hathaway has been on the receiving end of some uh, some hate, if you will. Uh, people just really did not like her after her infamous Oscars acceptance speech in 2013 uh, uh, wait, after wait. Les Mis. Yes? Okay, real quick. I watched, because of this show and because I do my, mm-hmm. my prep work, I actually watched the speech. And, I, I mean, for all the kind of annoying Oscar speeches... You know, the self-congratulatory or mm-hmm. preachy or whatever. It's hard to pick out that one as being exceptionally annoying. I think mm-hmm. well, there's just something she whispers to herself, like "Your dream came true" or something, or when when she first gets it, and that's a little a little cringy. 
but and it, mm-hmm. she looks a little like some mock humility going on. But overall, I think oh well, she seems happy. She won a big award. You know, it it didn't seem quote cringe to me. But evidently, there's yeah. something going on that really teed a lot of people off. Yeah, the the vitriol directed at her seems out of proportion. Like, yes, she's sort of dorky and she's incredibly earnest and a little drama student. I think earnest. I think it's the it's the it's a little bit precious and earnest, but like. Not to the level that she, not to the level that deserves this much. She doesn't seem like a bad person. I don't no. know. Anyway, uh, she gave a speech at L, she gave a speech for Elle magazine's 29th annual Women in Hollywood event, uh, and she took a moment to share a story about a little girl who she said was uh, age eight to eleven, um, and uh, it was about hate. And um, we have a clip. And the other thing I wanted to quickly say is that, in my opinion, the language of hatred begins with the self. Thank you for allowing me to go there. My, now I'm starting to kind of have a problem with her because her mouth is way too moist. I, the mouth noises. I didn't notice them the first time. It actually sounds dry to me. Is that dry or that... Read, listeners, let us know if you think the mouth noises are caused by dryness or wetness, and where should they write in? Uh, Upworthy Weekly at Upworthy.com. Yeah. Because I'm just like, she, she needs to be fed some sand. Like, oh, see, I think she needs to take a sip of water. Let's see. All right, let's... Let... Um, I felt it was important to bring this concept up tonight, because I recently overheard a little girl, like age... I don't know, 9, 10, 11, telling her mother in a parking lot that her friend, who I assume is also a little girl, hated her own mouth. And I really (laughs) felt for that young, young little girl experiencing the first flush of self-hatred, which I'm sure is something a lot of us understand. To that little girl, to all people actually, um, I wish I could tell you the world is in a good place. I wish I could tell you we are doing a good job balancing capitalism and environmental preservation and we'll be safe no matter what. <laughs> okay. I, when I was watching the video, cutting the audio up, I didn't notice it so much, you know. But then, Is it possible that it's another sound and it's not her mouth? It's just like another audio sound? Because I didn't notice it either. <laughs> no, that's... I noticed it very vaguely, but now it's kind okay. of extreme because it's a little loud. <laughs> and I and I feel I feel bad for the the girl that hated herself. It's but especially because we're talking about someone hating their mouth. Yeah, <laughs> it's just awful of us. This is not upworthy of us, Todd. I wish I could tell you that you will be safe in your freedom, that your freedom is ensured, that you will live untouched by inequality, bias, hate, and autocracy. But for some horrific reason, I cannot. I'm sorry. What I can tell you is that Issa Rae, Olivia Wilde, Zoe Kravitz, Michelle Yeoh, Sydney Sweeney, Sigourney Weaver, Mindy Kaling, Nina Garcia, myself, alongside innumerable women and men in Hollywood and beyond, are working really, really, really hard to make it a better culture. Not everybody, but a lot of people. And, and we would give anything for the work to be done by the time you grow up. And honestly, it likely won't be. So little one, we're gonna need you. Even if you don't go into Hollywood, we need people who have learned to reject the hate prevalent in all facets of our society by contributing to a culture of love, starting with themselves. Okay, this story is not going how I intended. Okay. <laughs> she basically, just be kind to yourself. Uh, less self-loathing. And... So, 
I don't mean to put words in her mouth, but I think she's kind of like inferring that self-hatred is the beginning of the cycle of hate, right? Yes. That, that, that somebody doesn't like, oh my God, my eyes, my glasses are fogged up. That somebody, <laughs> when somebody doesn't like themselves or some aspect of their life, then they are more likely to then start lashing out at others. And people who are content with themselves or practice self-acceptance are going to be much more acceptable of the world around them and people around them. Yes. Is that, is that a fair Is that a fair I point? Think that's, yes, I think that is what she was saying. Yes. And that a whole bunch of women in Hollywood are going to work hard for everybody to feel better about themselves. I was just thinking that this... This this theory that self-loathing leads to people loathing externally uh, comes back. My, my theory about why there's a lot of angry people in America. Yes. Are you, are you ready, Allison? Now you tell me Late if you think me. this is if you if you think this is wrong. Okay. And um, so you know when when you're born and you're you're being raised as an American, like your teachers, your family, whatever tells you, you live in the best country in the world. And if you work hard, then you will be successful. Everybody, everybody, you know, you're going to you work hard. You could do whatever you want. You're going to be successful and you'll get that mansion and that big car and that big house and that lovely wife. And that's all you got to do because this is America and it's a meritocracy. And mm-hmm. that's how it's going to work. And every, I think everybody's kind of told that that's part and parcel of being an American. And I don't think in other countries they're that way. I don't think people in Canada are like, if you work hard, son, you know, you'll be a millionaire and because you're in the greatest country in the world. I think the expectations are a bit different in America than they are in other kind of similar right. development, you know, worlds. But mm-hmm. then I think a lot of people, when they don't find that success and they think they've still worked hard and they're they're deserving of something and in a certain way i think there's a sense that they've been had or mm-hmm. maybe they didn't work hard enough or maybe it does reflect poorly on them so then they lash out and they say hey you know what it's it's these people that are the reason why this is my lot in life or it's the government is the reason for this and then that that creates a lot of anger in people because yes. if not right. you have to you have to you have to accept the fact that you you're a failure because you're not a millionaire. And right. you're a, I don't know what's the equivalent now. You're a 10 millionaire, you know, inflation. Yeah. But, and so then they, they get angry. And I think that happens probably much more so in America where the expectations are much higher. And right. it doesn't happen for everybody. It doesn't happen for most people, right? For most people. Right. And, and really the promise, the problem was that the promise, it was a faulty premise to begin with because it doesn't work that way. It it work it works kind of that way, but not always if that you, way, right? If you, yeah, right. If you work hard, I mean, I can't even I can't even say if you work hard and dedicate yourself, you can have X Y Z because X Y that's not even the case for everyone anymore. I mean, you can't even say if you work hard, you'll be able to have a house. You know what I mean? Like I don't even know I don't even know what I could say across the board is likely for everyone. It's like it's so specific it's so situational at this point you know right there's not even but like but to say you'll be a millionaire no like you can't the what we can like the american dream is whatever i this is this is such a uh, a heady conversation yes i agree with you todd and it's even seen if you don't have this level of success as a moral failing on some level yes yes because Absolutely. we we equate exactly like if if you're struggling to get by, it's a moral failing, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily a circumstantial failing. Right. Right. Well, that's what do they call in in certain religious in certain religions or certain religious circles? There's like a the prophet prophet uh, gospel, the gospel of prophet or something. Prosperity gospel. Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. like Joel Osteen. Yes. If if you just be faithful, mm-hmm. if you just give me money, then you'll be right. rich just like me and you'll have yes. a $25,000 watch. Right. And right. that there's something holy about about the pursuit of money, which is like so antithetical to what's in the Bible. Yeah, I think so. Um 
but yeah, I don't know. That that's my theory, and I I want to see. Uh, I I want. I don't know who would who would verify my theory, like an economist or something, or or a sociologist, hmm. an economical sociologist. We need one of them on our team. But it's interesting. I wonder. So I wonder in Canada, like what what their version of the American dream is. Like what's promised to them? What do they grow up thinking? Like if we just work hard, then we'll receive what you know? Yeah. And I think also in places like Canada, I think people are slightly more collectivistic. Mm-hmm. And so there's a little bit less of me, the individual, will achieve yeah. a certain level of success. It's a little more, uh, you know, people people maybe looking out for one another a, a little more right. so in America. But anyway, not to be such a uh, downer here, but downworthy here, well, gee I'm, whiz. Well, I'm glad you kind of agree with me that you mm-hmm. know about this this theory in life. Upworthy weekly. So this next story, I think, is really good for Allison because, <laughs> as as I said a couple shows ago, that like I wake up kind of every morning thinking, "What's best for Allison?" Yeah, you are a truly a uh, you're altruist. You're an altruistic gemstone. I think is what I called you recently. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's see here. Uh, this isn't a guy from Harvard. A Harvard negotiator basically teaches people how to argue in a way that leads to better understanding. And he kind of laid this out as like any uh, journalistic pursuit. In today's divided America, Mm. you know, um, people need to learn how to argue better and then maybe we'll have a little more peace. So he laid out his basic ideas on um, how to how to better argue with people. So I'm going to play this audio. Okay. Now, is this like just for arguing with people who don't agree with you politically, or is it for like arguing with husbands who don't agree with you around the house? Because Daniel and I might need this if it's for the latter. I think it's it's for everything, but specifically he talks about like kind of political or ideological disagreements. Okay. You know, uh, let's see here. Because like, you know, personally, I quit arguing with people a while back. Yeah. I gave up on it. I said, "There's no, there's no point in me arguing with people." So, but, but, but I have alternate techniques that I use, and well, maybe we'll see if these jibe up. But like, like if I know somebody's going to start, so, so someone's going to say something like, "Allison, you say global warming is a hoax." Oh, I know it is. Well, you say. It. Oh, sorry. Global. <laughs> global warming is a hoax. I said global warming is a hoax, Todd, and I know that because I remember when everyone was worried about uh, global cooling. Okay, good. See, you, this went exactly as planned, and it usually does. If someone says something they think you're going to argue with or uh-huh. come back at them about mm-hmm. or something they know is a controversial edgelord opinion, if you just yeah. don't respond, then they start tripping over themselves because they're waiting for your response because they... They kind of have it planned yeah. out that way, and then if you right. just look look at them and I, I mm-hmm. and give them what I call big dumb face. Yes, that is what I w- received from you. Yeah, and then what? It, <laughs> but what did you do instinctually? I you, I hit you with my next point. Yeah, and then but then you started tripping over yourself a bit, right? I mean, a little bit, sure. Right, right, mm-hmm. and so yeah. you do that, or response number two is okay. Now this is a visual bit, so. You say it's global great on a podcast. Okay. Yes, yeah. You say global warming is a hoax created by Bill Gates. Okay. Global warming is a hoax created by Bill Gates. Now, for the audience at home, what mm-hmm. I did was I gave her a huge like what you talking about Willis look. Right? Yeah. Like and so I right. didn't have to argue, but I gave her the look, the the facial uh, look of like I think you're a moron. Right. Mm-hmm. You look like you are like it was it was causing you pain. What I just said. Right. But then I didn't respond. Mm-hmm. I let you know I think you're an idiot. Yeah. I didn't start an argument. Uh huh. Now you're like, uh, where am I? And then I'm like, right. I gotta get some now more what wine. Hap- oh yeah. What happens when you actually do that? Then does that stop the conversation? Yeah, and it's fine. It's it's better to sit in silence and awkwardness than the awkwardness of arguing with someone with a terrible opinion. Right. 
Hmm. Interesting. Now, I'll, this might just sound like passive aggression. Um. Yeah. Yes, but some. I mean, there is a time and a place for passive aggression. Mm. I think. It might be in these. Well, I guess we'll find out from the Harvard educator. Yeah. I mean, in marriage, there's always a time for passive aggression, I think. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that, but okay. Should we argue? How can we be more effective? And what I've found is that there are three big barriers that we can actually overcome to have more effective conversations. The big things, one, identity, two, appreciation, and three, affiliation. Let's start with identity. Why do we get so emotional in these conflict situations? It often goes back to something deeper, identity. What are the core values, the core beliefs that are feeling threatened inside of you as you're having that conversation with the other side? The moment your identity gets hooked in these conflicts, all of a sudden your emotions become a hundred times more powerful. Boy, this is a wholly different conflict now. It's now your pride. Your sense of self is on the line. You need to know who you are and what you stand for. What are the... Now, I mm. once saw a, uh, a study that showed that people who have more hardcore, intractable opinions are... Like, the more hardcore, intractable opinions one has and the, the more important those opinions are to the person's sense of self, the more mm. insecure they are. Oh, interesting. So, that makes sense. So the, the person that's constantly uh, putting stuff on Facebook all day and trying to argue with people about Bill Gates uh, creating microchips to put in COVID vaccines, that person is highly, highly insecure because they're so kind of intractable mm -hmm. uh, in their opinion. And because they're so intractable because they're, they have such a, they feel, they have to be so protective of their sense of self. Because they're insecure about it. People who are secure don't have to engage in all that. Uh, right. If that makes sense. Right. Yes, they don't need to constantly broadcast what they feel. They just know it inside and and it's uh, it can withstand challenges and things like that. Yeah. And they don't need others' approval of it. Right. They don't need the like. Yeah. You know. Correct values and beliefs that are driving me to fight for this stance on this issue. The more you understand who you are, the more you can try to get your purpose met and stay balanced, even when the other threatens those core values and beliefs. Each side wants to feel appreciated, and yet the last thing they want to do is to appreciate the other side. That's a problem. Listen and understand. When you're in the midst of the conflict, don't talk. Take the first 10 minutes, consciously listen to the other side. What's the value behind their perspective? What's the logic, the rationale? Why do they hold this perspective on immigration or healthcare? Once you truly understand and see the value in their perspective, let them know, I hear where you're coming from. And you know what? That makes sense. There is nothing more in the world that we like than to feel appreciated. Recognize. Also, I think to add to this, not that I know more than the Harvard guy, but I've found that asking questions, if you're going to engage in the debate, if the person's like, let's say Allison Rosen, you say uh, global warming is a hoax. Mm. Oh, global warming is a hoax, Todd. Why do you think that? And then... Duh! It's what? obvious. Well, I think that normally, that loosens people up a bit, and they... Yeah. Now we're not being now we're being collaborative, not confrontational. Right. And so then suddenly yeah. that opinions that person's opinion won't be so hot and it'll kind of mm -hmm. cool cool a little bit. Right, cuz now you're not um combative anymore. Now you're not um oh my god, words are failing me, but you're not argue you know what I'm trying to say. I'm agreeing with you. I'm yeah. agreeing with you, Todd. You're not arguing with each other. Now you're like educating each other. Right. And exactly. you feel that the other person's like open to hearing what you have to say. Right. Yeah. And then also the more that they bring out their opinion and the more they like lay it out, that also gives you a lot more ammunition if you're going to fight back. You'd be like, well, yes. I heard you say that, yeah, the, 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 there was an asteroid that hit or something, you know. Right. I heard so you say pandemic. Right. Who yeah. planned it? 
Allison uh, just hit her microphone like it owed her money. I cannot stop banging this microphone. It's as if I've never been around a microphone before today. So, Allison, on a scale of one to five, one being absolutely awful, five being transplended, how was your week? Um, I'm going to give this week a 3.5. Um, it is unbelievable to me. However, I am sick again. I feel that I have been sick 400,000 times in the last few weeks. I felt a little tingle in my throat and I thought there's no way I'm getting sick because Daniel was just sick and uh, before he was sick, I had been sick and I assumed whatever he had was what I had before. So then when I woke up on Wednesday and my throat was on fire, I thought it feels like Groundhog Day. Like, is someone in my house always going to be sick? This is insane. And then this time, like I was like in bed for a couple of days. That's how sick I was. I so far have been testing COVID negative. Um, so this is just a bunch of BS and I do not like it. However, on the positive side, my mother-in-law is here. Uh, so I've been able to sleep and that's great. And this is, I forget, I don't know how much I've talked about her on the show, but she's like super grandma. She loves to cook. She loves to clean. She loves to organize like all the like wifely things that I do not excel at at all. Um, I feel so. I mean, it's got to be a real step down for Daniel to go from having it's amazing that he wanted to, to mediocre. Yeah, wife. I'm surprised. I'm surprised he wanted to marry me, given what his notion of what a woman could be, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he thought I would like grow into the role or something, but no, it's, you know, not, it's not happening. But when she comes here, then it's like, oh, now someone's doing my laundry. Now someone's cooking. Now someone's cleaning, you know? So it's great for all of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, so it's really nice to have her here. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to give, I'm giving it a 3.5 and I can't wait to go crawl in bed again and, uh, probably take another COVID test. Are you a better person? Am I a better person? Yeah. I was, I was, I was going to ask that as well. It's kind of my line. It's not like a rhetorical line. It's always historically, you know, been, I ask you, and then recently you've been jumping the gun and asking yourself, she kind of negates, I feel erased. I'm sorry. I think I'm, you know what? I don't cook. I don't clean. I don't do the other thing. And I ask myself, am, am I one of these modern liberated women who's trying to erase the role of any sort of man? Next thing you know, I'll be wearing pants. Um, okay, pants go ahead and ask. suit. Could be a pants suit. A pants suit. Go ahead and ask. Even, even more liberated. <laughs> Are you a better uh, g- person than you were last week? 
I'm thinking whether I'm a better person than I was last week. I mean, am I a better a person? Mm. I feel you like I'm that hard. You probably are. I know. I'm trying to think. Have I done anything good? I t- uh, I'm having trouble. Think- I mean, I took a shower today and it had been a few days. So in that regard, yes. Whereas there... I mean, I was not clean and I am fresh as a daisy right now. So I don't know if I'm a better person than I was last week, but I had become a worse person than I, that, you know what? This is my angle, Todd. Yeah. I had become a worse person than I was last week. And I, cause I was like, what is that smell? Oh, it's my hair. But now I'm in a better place. So. Uh, you're backing up. You can't smell my hair through the computer. It's cl- oh no, it's your dog. Oh hi Archie. Um, so yeah, I had become a worse person, and now I'm back to breaking even. So in essence, I am a better person in that I'm not worse. Th- uh, there you go, Todd. I, I think you're a worse person because you're you just created your own problem and then solved it, but you created the problem. Well, I see your point, and. Um, I don't disagree. You're right. Okay. And Todd, how was your week on a scale of one being the way my throat felt on Wednesday and five being wonderful? I'm going to give it a four. Oh, my goodness. It's a really good, Uh, it's a decent week. I was completely healthy. Had a Mm -hmm. wonderful trip to Las Vegas with my son. And uh, we were there Sunday for the football game, stayed most of the day uh, Monday, and then flew home. There was one moment, though, where I didn't quite look like the ideal parent. And that was in the morning, we were leaving to go to like the uh, New York, New York Hotel, because I have a cool arcade there. Mm-hmm. And it was early in the morning, and we, my, we had gotten up at like 6, and we went to bed early because we were tired. And so then we both had hoodies on. And I had like a backpack with all our stuff in it because we were checking out of the hotel and we're eventually going to go to the airport. And it was like, oh, you know, I was in Las Vegas. So they have different rules when it comes to consuming alcohol in public. And so I had a I was having a I was having a white claw, the strong ones, the the, the Uh splurge or whatever. And I'm having one of those at 930 and crossing the street to Tropicana. And my son, he had a uh, he I he had I gave him some change. While we're in the hotel room, because you, know, you just kind of put it on the countertop, and I was like, "Here, kid, you're gonna need some change to play some slots or video games or whatever." So I put it in a coffee cup, like a little paper coffee cup. So my kid was walking with change in a cup, and I've got a backpack. We got hoodies on, and I'm having a beer, and we're crossing Tropicana Avenue at Monday at nine thirty in the morning. And then I was like, I had this moment of self recognition. I was like, "Oh, this is a bad look." I'm like drinking <laughs> with a child who looks like he's panhandling. And most of these people are going to work. It's 930 in the morning on a Monday, yeah. you know, and I'm just like, hey, you know. <laughs> well, yes, although it's Vegas, so anything right. go, you know, and hey, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So you brought it home. I just let everybody know. Uh, so I had a great time in Vegas, great time with my son. Then the next day after the long trip to Vegas, I went to the Greek theater and I saw Bobby Weir of the Grateful Dead play and uh, John Mayer, who don't really like his solo stuff, but as a guitar player, quite great. He came out Mm -hmm. and played with him half the set. It was a really fun night and I hung out with some hippies and uh, got into trouble and it was a wonderful night. And by that next Wednesday, I wanted to die. So all in all, yes, I had a very good week. Are you a better person than you were last week? Yes, because I had an old friend who had kind of ghosted me, old friend and creative collaborator. And we hadn't talked for like six years. And I had no idea why suddenly he uh, was mad at me or didn't want to be my friend or my buddy or uh, work on things creatively together. And out of the blue, he reached out to me, not necessarily in friendship, but more like, I want you to take something off the website or whatever. And uh, I had, at first, I could have been like, you ghosted me, F you, you know, I, you know, I don't owe you anything. But then part of me was like, I love this person. They were my friend, you know, so kind of, I was have two minds of this. And then I 
just sat and I thought about it. And what do you really want out of this? And actually reached out to a friend and I go, what what should I do? I don't really. And the, the guy gave me great advice. and actually listened to somebody, which is not something I normally do. And Dad. I just was like, you know what? It's all good. I forgive whatever, and hopefully they. If I did something wrong, then hopefully they forgive me. And then we buried over text. We buried the hatchet. Said, "Hey, let's go get a beer." Nice. So yes, I think I could have. I could have been reactionary and made a conflict, or been like, "Oh, it's been this long. I'm gonna settle." You know, I gotta settle your hash over something right. that happened a long time ago. No, it's like, yeah, we're cool. I love you, man. It's all good. Was there any discussion of, of what had happened? No. Do you think there will be when you see this person? Yeah. And I think it'll just be mellow. Like, hey, you know, yeah. you know, I was going, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I think it'll be like that. I think I think he felt bad that there was a conflict probably because probably loved me as a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if something bad happened, I don't know. And I felt the same way. So all good friends again and good. everything is good. So we've gone very long on this show. Yes, we... Oh, my goodness. So, I'd like to thank Allison Rosen for keeping thank it you. together, even though she had a tickle in her throat. Next week, one-year anniversary, and we'll do a new oh show. Goodness. I was thinking of just doing a supercut of Allison talking about being sick, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> Upworthy Weekly was produced by Todd Perry. Follow Upworthy on all socials at Upworthy. Allison is on Twitter at Allison Rosen. And Todd at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Questions, comments, or to tell us about your amazing week, email us at UpworthyWeekly at Upworthy.com. I'm Marley Balin. Have a great week.